Welcome to Rowan College at Burlington County's Baroness Podcast. I'm Dr. Brooke Myatt, Program Chair and Assistant Professor of our Entertainment Technologies Department. I'm the Chair of the Women's Advocacy Group, a subcommittee of the President's Advisory Council on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. This monthly series highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. Tune in for a female perspective on the Burlington County community. We are here to listen to these amazing women. And if you want to hear from women who lead and inspire, this podcast is for you. Welcome to our February podcast. This month, we will be honoring Black History Month, and we have two fantastic women from Burlington County joining us. Ms. Deborah Price, founder of the Seeds Foundation, sits on the board of directors at the Underground Railroad Museum of Burlington County and World of Money, Inc. She is on the U.S. Advisory Council of the Nabajataka Development Foundation and the Board Advisory Council for Education Africa. And listen up, this is only half of what Miss Price does, and I can't wait to find out more. And by her side, the lovely Reverend Julia Cheney Moss, an interfaith minister of healing with over 40 years experience in the human services realm as a spiritual life coach. And the Cheney family was intimately involved in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And we will dig into that during this podcast. But welcome, ladies. I am honored to have the two of you joining us today. Thank you for inviting. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I just want to start out, like I said, about, you know, both of your bios and, and talking with both of you, just the power and the amazing gift that you give to all these organizations that you belong to. I mean, I don't know how you either of you sleep, but I would love for both of you to just kind of dive in a little bit and give our listeners insight to your endeavors into all of the beautiful um, human service organizations and councils that you sit on. So, um, Deb, I'm going to start with you. Well, a little bit about me. Uh, professionally, I'm in the financial industry. A lot of my love and passion for banking really uh, derives from my experience at my university from which I graduated, North Carolina A&T State University, one of the largest HBCUs. That in itself, um, there was a lot of history in Greensboro. I was afforded the opportunity of having a lot of iconic figures cross my path and help mold me. But because of that uh, journey, it transitioned into my love of uh, civil rights as well as uh, fair treatment and of services, especially since I'm in the banking industry, um, which drives my interest in compliance. Okay, um, Around the times of my transitioning from the university into the professional life, um, there were a lot of laws that were being enacted, things like the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, the Fair Lending Act, Fair Housing, uh, Community Reinvestment Act, things like that um, helped me to focus on service. You know, So the, the common denominator of service transitioned from banking and naturally into my walk on the personal side, which you've mentioned with my um, want of serving in the Seeds Foundation. You know, um, 
as well as with the world of money. Uh, needless to say, the Underground Railroad Museum, uh, the love is definitely there. Um, having the exposure of meeting people like our one of my best friends that's sitting right next to me, Julia Cheney Moss, uh, she'll tell you about our background and how we connect on different levels. It's just, I'm about to cry when I'm sitting here, <laughs> you know, but... No, you know what? And it's 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 a beautiful thing because that that friendship and that gift of of sisterhood and mm-hmm. we've talked about that on this podcast many a times like we need we need our group. We need our like, you know, our 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 club and it's such a beautiful thing because when I brought, you know, Black History Month up a handful of the people on my team are like, well, do you know Julia? And do you know Deb? And I'm like, I don't, but I need to. <laughs> and I was so happy that you both, um, you know, are joining with us today. Julia, why don't you tell us your connection um, to Deb? And then um, I'd love to kind of go into the the history of the museum and and a little bit about that. So your history of service and how you've gotten involved in, in your life. Well, given my personal history and background, um, I traveled from uh, Meridian, Mississippi to New York, um, where I, um, as a mother of two children, um, small children at that time, I um, had to work, so I found a job, and... Um, I was working with a, co- with a colleague of mine in the mayor's office, and she said to me one day, you know, did you hear, if you, if you get a job at NYU, you can go to school there. I was at NYU the next day, applying <laughs> 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 for a job. Smart. I got the job. It's great. And I was able to go to school. <laughs> Wonderful. I was able to take classes there. In that, I began to... Um, Everything for me centered around human services, centered around uh, the benefit of life for the people. So therefore, moving on to a community organization to become, um, started out as a secretary there uh, and ended up being the uh, manager at the organization, I was able to do more things in the community and put together uh, programs in, uh, in the Harlem community that um, parents, per se, had um, never, didn't know existed. So it was good to be a link. And from there, I moved on to um, an organization, the New York Foundling, one of the largest and oldest organiz- human service organizations um, in New York. And I worked there for 40 years. And I never worked a day in my life. I loved it because it gave me access to those individuals and those lives that I could support, that I could enhance, that I could encourage, that I, and I'm, um, I'm easy. <laughs> I'm a very easy person. <laughs> She's not. <laughs> uh, because I find my spirit is about connecting. It's about getting to know. I love that word. Yeah. I love that word connecting because yes. right. it means so many different mm-hmm. different points and so Absolutely. many different avenues to so many different people. Mm-hmm. And then that connection. So you, how did you bring that New York 
um, from from all that education that you were providing in Harlem and in that mm-hmm. community. How did you then morph it into now in in the New Jersey, uh, Burlington County community? Well, I had came to the point where um, I had the, uh, two grandchildren, and I wanted to get them out of New York, and they were in elementary school. So I said, well, uh, my sister had moved uh, to Willingboro, and um, coming down, uh, I brought my mother down, and uh, we went around, rode around in the, in the community, and the one thing my mother said, she had always said, once her last church friends had been killed in uh, her apartment by a relative, and my mother wanted to get out of New York. She was, well, she wanted to go back to Mississippi, but that was not anything that we were going to count Yeah, right, yes. That's sure. not happening. Yeah. So with my sister having moved down to Jersey and seeing that my sister had bought the property and where she was living, and then we rode around and looked around a bit. And because I knew the desire of my mother as well as myself that um, we'd like to step out on some grass, as we did in Mississippi rather than concrete, all, you know. I so, think that's why a lot of people come to New Jersey, because there's land, right, space. which is great, space, space. which is yeah. a beautiful thing. And so uh, in doing so, my sister uh, began to, um, she continued to work in New York, and she began to uh, just look around and put in some feelers and get get information so that I could uh, explore to find out um, if there's something that we'd be interested in. We found a place, and here we are. So once you found your spot here in Willingboro, you then tried to then obviously form that a bond with with people around town. So how did that bring you to well, your relationship with Deb here? You know, not really. Oh, uh, okay. I, I, you know, I wasn't doing any, I was working. I was on a bus at 5.30 in the morning. I was home by 6.30 or 7. I was not really in the community. <laughs> I lived there. Uh, my mother who lived in the house and uh, my grands, um, she saw to, that, to them getting to school. But it was really uh, the commute. Yeah. The commute is where the connections occurred. People don't understand the power of the commute. You know, uh, <laughs> we talk about our blood families. We talk about school families, alumni, mm-hmm. you know, but there's a commuting family. Thank you. You know, and it started with a simple conversation, and that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship, you know. And um, needless to say, we didn't expect the degree of our relationship mm-hmm. to bloom to where it is today. Um, when yep. we talk about history. Today is we, a sisterhood. It's a sisterhood. It's, it's a, a different sisterhood. level. It's a bond that mm-hmm. um, you rarely find, you know, uh, very similar to a lot of people that cross my life. You never know who's mm-hmm. going to be a part of your journey until you sit down and you listen. You listen. And Julia has placed seeds in my heart she shared things with her past and I hers and um what's common is obviously the history you know um the footsteps that uh, have crossed our paths collectively um that she's enabled me to be exposed to and I to her um seeing Debbie's emotion right now how do you feel Julia it's um, it it's been an awe experiencing 
the life and the connections. Um, there's a, a kind of a regal, certainly spiritual awe in terms of some of the connections that, um, that you make in the commute, um, not knowing mm-hmm. um, when you get in and you sit down or you move over for someone else to sit down, not knowing that um, 10 years later, uh, you're sitting yes. in each other's house. <laughs> mm-hmm. For us, less time than that, I think. But um, How would you mm-hmm. tell others and the listeners mm-hmm. how to make room for that, that spirit mm-hmm. and that awe? Because I don't think a lot of people know how to do that. Mm-hmm. How, how would you, from, from your background... Mm-hmm explain how to how to do that for someone how how can people do that first it's 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 incumbent upon me and i'm speaking from my perspective that when i step out i know that i carry with me a very positive energy and an open energy i'm uh, open and receptive to anyone and there is this desire to be helpful if opportunities occur. And that's just the space that, um, that I live in. And that's why I could work in human services for 40 years and never I, work a day in yeah, my life. I, I was going to say, all those words kind of lead into, I think, what, what you do at the Underground Railroad Museum. So before we dive into that, um, you know, Debbie, I had shared with you that I think I pulled a handful of people after I knew I was going to interview you. And <laughs> I will say probably half of the people didn't know we had an underground railroad museum mm-hmm. right here in our backyards. Mm-hmm. So I would love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about where the museum's located and then a little bit about what they would experience going to the museum. What's so special and unique about the museum? The museum initially uh, was created by... Uh, Louise Calloway. She was the curator and founder of the museum. Uh, the birth of the cafe, as we knew it, um, when it first existed in Burlington City, um, she would collect all of her artifacts or art pieces, and she would tell stories. She was a, a beautiful storyteller, but she would open up the cafe to allow folks to come in and share their gifts and their talents, all in telling a story. Louise Calloway was a historian, a beautiful historian. She would tell mm-hmm. you things that you would never have access to. Uh, she would tell you about her journeys from Canada into Cameroon, South Africa. Uh, but all of that had a message And her collections had gotten so large that she had shifted her cafe to the now Underground Railroad Museum um, in um, Smithville, which is right outside of Mount Holly. Okay. It's a hidden treasure because for everyone that comes into the museum, you go from the 1400s all the way up to current day, okay? I had an honor of 
spending time with Louise because sometimes people plant seeds in your life mm. that you really don't have an appreciation of understanding until the seed is watered, until it's ready to reveal itself. Um, when I talk to you about the, the journey of people that you meet along the way, sometimes you don't know what they're going to say or how it's going to impact or the things that they see in you that you maybe don't even see within yourself. You know, um, as you had indicated earlier, I now sit on the board of the Underground Railroad. But a year and a half ago, I never knew that I'd be in this position. Because um, Miss Callaway, she recently transitioned. Yeah, Mother Callaway, yes. And um, she she planted seeds in my spirit that um, the one thing that she wanted me to do was to continue to tell the story. You know, and when I talk about the Underground Railroad, I talk about learning those things that you often don't hear mm-hmm. about in the history books. You know, come and learn the untold stories and come and see. You know, um, the museum is more than just the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. But the Underground Railroad was a catalyst for stories. It's more than... Harriet Tubman, even though she was a vital conductor of the Underground Railroad. But what you will experience in the museum is the beginning, broken down by decade. Uh, You have an appreciation for all of the collaborations that happened um, during the sense of this area of uh, resistance, okay, and not only in the past, but also as it echoes to even today. We talk about those types of things in the museum. What's so unique about this museum is people come in. They come in and tell stories about their backgrounds, you know, where their families come from, and we give them that opportunity to, to talk, to, to share. listen, yeah. to share. I mean, I remember the day that Julia came into the museum and what was so unique about what happened that day, because we have the bond that we share, I allowed her to come upstairs that day. I will never forget this, the day that she came up and she saw her mother and her brother on the wall, but I gave her that time so she can have that moment you know, it wasn't for everybody to see. That was for her moment. Julia, tell me about that moment. It was tearful, mightily tearful. And um, I'd already begin planted the seed um, because I'd been in there a few times, a few times, and um, I didn't know Louise. Uh, so Deb facilitated that. And I think it. We, we were we were doing. We were I volunteering to right, do some. December. Uh, it was December of twenty twenty one. Yeah. yeah, and um, that day when we went in to do, um, continue to do the work that we were doing, um, and she took me upstairs. Yes. Yeah. It. Yeah. 
She needed that moment. She and that's that, that connection moment. again, right? So yeah. we're we're talking about putting all the mm-hmm. pieces together and you're all connection with yeah, with Miss Calloway. Mm-hmm. Um and at that moment I promised her that I would make sure that the family memorabilia would be installed there. And for those of our listeners that really want to find out all of the the beautiful some of the beautiful artifacts and things that that you have there um, obviously, I would tell everyone to go and visit the museum in Mount Holly. Um, Rowan College of Burlington County here, we also did a, a beautiful um, mini uh, doc episode on uh, Miss Calloway um, and her kind of walking through the museum, talking about what, what Deb had mentioned about these beautiful artifacts and these things of, of her visits for, from from Africa and these mm-hmm. I mean just stunning um, things I, I, I watched mm-hmm. I think I watched two out of I believe there's four episodes or five episodes I mean really wonderful um, a wonderful collection that she allows invites you in you know what mm-hmm. I mean and 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 really takes you in and like you said gives you that time to express yourself and express your mm-hmm. thoughts and what you're feeling in that moment and it's it's really larger than life and it she's is. larger than life yes. um and you know obviously we're so we're very sorry for for both of you for your loss there mm-hmm. um a strong 92 year old woman I mean 93 93 God bless her you had said earlier, and I think the way you speak about her and the way, way you're speaking about each other, and I know Deb brought this up early, there was these early in her life during her collegiate years that she had these iconic figures. And if I were to ask you today, who are those iconic figures um, you know, that you kind of live by that are like your, your internal person that you're striving to be if I were to ask you who are those people that you know every day you're getting up in the morning and and thinking wow these are these people that I I I, you know I wish I was in their shoes or or I'm hoping to be that person um I'm gonna go to Debbie first for that (laughs) there's so many um, I've been blessed with um, various iconic figures that have helped to mold my life. So there's not just one because they all planted seeds along my journey. Um, I was blessed with the honor of meeting the Rosa Parks and the Carota Scott Kings and the uh, Betty Shabazz and the, the Shirley Chisholms being in my home uh, in her earlier years. Um, my best girlfriend's godmother, Barbara Jordan, you know, um, all of these women, strong, vibrant women, um, not at the time having a true appreciation for how they were going to mold me, you know, yet alone when I walk in the museum, I see their images in front of me and then their words echo back in my ears, um, the the Julia Cheneys of the world. And I put Julia there because if you understand our walks that we've done in the time frames that we've been together, spending time and meeting John Lewis mm-hmm. and Martin Luther King's 
uh, attorney sitting down with him and having a that dialogue on what actually happened in that cell with Martin, you know, listening to the parents and listening to the stories sitting mm -hmm. in Philadelphia, you know, when we were, yeah, yeah, the Martin Luther King programs, you know, those types of walks, they help to mold you. And talking about the walks, um, just recently, finishing a 165-mile walk just uh, last year, trying to understand the, the impact of the Underground Railroad in the state of New Jersey, the roles that the churches have played, the AME churches, mm -hmm. the Quakers, the, the legacy families, even having an opportunity of speaking with uh, the Lenny Lenape Nation chief, mm -hmm and understanding how the indigenous nations played a role. So who do you, who do I speak on? I speak on everyone. All those people. Because it's a puzzle that is brought together that helps me be who I am as I speak. But foundationally, it's my family. A divine mosaic. Yes. Mm -hmm. Who are those iconic figures for you, Julia? Ah, First and foremost, my parents, um, born and raised in Mississippi, Meridian, Mississippi. Um, my father was a college-educated man, which was rare in that time, and was a businessman so that he ran his business, which was um, uh, construction. When my father passed, the mayors of most cities uh, across the South from Texas across to the coast. He had his hand in building most of the hospitals, finishing the hospitals, because he did interiors, the schools, and, um, and the office buildings. And um, the mayor noted at his, uh, at his funeral that these buildings whisper Ben Cheney's name. Mm. That was the most powerful um, acclamation that um, and most powerful words that I've ever heard spoken about my father from a Caucasian and um, I realized too that um, in my life the most um, well, there were two very significant people other than, other, other than my parents and that was uh, Mr. Henry Little my history teacher and um, Miss Daphne Poe Hudson, my English teacher. I, I'm an English major, I think, because of her. <laughs> because she said to us, you must speak the king's English. When you speak the king's English, you can acquire most anything that you want via the phone mm -hmm. because people will not know your race. And those words stayed with me. I, my life was bound in those words. And, uh, and Mr. Little, um, he introduced us to Emperor Haile Selassie, the last living African-American, African, rather, king at that time. And 
these were the things that were going on in the walls of our school, had any of the city monitors known, they would have shut it down. So we had a beautiful grew up uh, among those individuals who cared about us and all of the teachers, all of the community, and um, relatives. Communities were families because the adults looked out for everyone. My mother uh, reportedly had a fifth grade education, but my mother managed my father's payroll and put his pay packets together. <laughs> my mother... Uh, seem, was not supposed to be able to write or read. So when we'd come in from school, she had a letter for each of us. We had to read the letter, and oh, we was just so thrilled to do something for my mother. To have a little job, yeah. Yeah, that we yeah. thought she couldn't do. <laughs> I was 13 years old when I came home and discovered my mother was sitting at the table and I couldn't wait for anybody, to, for them to get home. When they got in, I said, guess what, guess what, Mama can read, she can read. My sister, my oldest sister said, girl, your mama been able to read. I said, you got to be kidding. No, we had to read her letters. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was making sure that you, you could were read. Yeah. <laughs> Smart mother. Yes. Brilliant, yes. brilliant you know, lady. And you, you brought up all this really interesting um, topic about education. And mm-hmm. um, I don't, you know, I'd love our listeners to kind of get a window into the Cheney family about how they were involved in, in the civil rights mm. movement in the 60s. I don't think a lot of people know that James Earl Cheney was lynched at the beginning of the long, hot voter registration summer 1964. And that's how your family mm-hmm. is, you know, is connected. connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you could, would you be able to share a little bit of insight into that? Yes. Um, my brother at uh, the age of 16 had begun uh, attending the NAACP youth group meetings. And um, we, he would come home and he would share with us you know, what, the, what they were talking about and what was going on there. Um, when the plan uh, began in uh, New York, thank God there were women sitting around that table planning the next adventure. Uh, there had been the, the bus rides, um, uh, the boycotts. The, there had been so many other opportunities um, across the South but no one would touch Mississippi. Mississippi was known as the last bastion of segregation. Thank God there were these brilliant women sitting around the table in New York when they got the brain, put together the brainstorm. If we challenge Mississippi, it cannot be done with us alone. It cannot be done with our children alone. We must invite Caucasians. We must invite them to be a part of this process. And um, when that was cemented, then, and the reason is, um, everyone that mostly, they were all um, African Americans that did um, the boycotts, the bus rides, um, those kinds of things. And um, there was someone always killed. There was quite a few always killed. 
and that was one of the things that they um, wanted to do. We cannot do anything else. We cannot challenge anything. We cannot figure out how to preserve the lives of these young people. And they figured it out is this will have to be an integrated effort. It will have to be an integrated effort or we're not putting these kids at risk. We're not going to do that. We're not going to send them on a bus by themselves. We're not going to do that. And in order to do that, they would um, they arranged on a campus um, to really begin to teach the young people as to what their task was going to be and why they were going to be um, matched with uh, African-Americans, partnered with an African-American, at least one. And um, so upon J.E. James, we James. called him J.E. J.E. Um, his job was to, um, in 60, uh, 63, the year of 63, he would go across the South in the uh, the cities and nooks and crannies and find the pastors that would allow their churches to be used and find the parents that would allow a student to live with them, that they could accommodate and feed a student. And um, he would come home. His first quest, though, to my mother was, why do we have to live this way? And that's after he started the NAACP um, youth group. And he would ask her, and she would say to him, oh, well, uh, Jay, you know, right now that's just the way things are. You know, she says, my life, things have always been this way. And she says, I don't know if there's ever, ever be a change. And so, but he would come in. We would um, sit on the floor in the living room, pull the shades, even if it's daytime, turn all the lights out, um, and he would share with us um, the people he met, the pastors that agreed, uh, the families that agreed, the pastors that uh, could not, did not want to risk their churches, and the families that said no. So that, and all of this information was compiled, and at that time, 63, the COFO office opened. Okay. And, and so... With that, we understood that um, this was, as he said, his life's work. This is my work. This is what I chose to do. My mother never forbade him. She never challenged him about it. She merely said, you do know you can get killed with what you're doing. And he would just chuckle and say, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, and um, my mother would accept that. And we'd go to bed. But, and he continued so that when they were away in uh, 60, um, 64 um, at the campus, I can't think of the college now, but being there, they got the call about um, the pastor's church in Neshoba County uh, where the pastor and the parishioners had been beaten. The church was uh, burned. And um, a couple of parishioners died. The pastor and the wife survived. 
and a couple of other parishioners survived. And um, they were leaving. Uh, Jay and, and Mickey decided they would leave and come back to Meridian. And Andy Goodman had joined them, was at that um, training session. And he um, begged them to let him come along with them as well. And um, they did. So they came back in, and um, that Saturday morning, they had breakfast. Mama, Mama made biscuits. Mickey Schwerner loved Mama's biscuits, so he'd be at the house in the morning. <laughs> That's what she, if that's what she was making. Andy got to taste biscuits too that day. So um, they left, and the last thing my brother said to, to my mom is that um, what time they were going to be back. We should be back around 4. And uh, if we're not back, start the list of numbers I gave you. Just start calling them and tell them that we went to Neshova and we're not back home. And... Um, they left, and everything else is history, too, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's that, um, that work that he chose to do. And um, the most compelling thing is Andrew Goodman's first day on Mississippi soil was his last, last day. day of life. You know, what I think is so powerful is that there's this path, this canal, this connection mm. in your family of, of, of service. Yes. I well, mean, that was, I mean, I don't even know what else you could be the definition of that, mm. of that story that you just shared, mm. that passion, that drive, the need for change. And, you know, we've been using that term throughout that seeds, the planting seeds, the mm. seeds of change. And one thing I really would love to ask um, to wrap up, the seeds of change, we're here on a college campus. We have the Youth of America here. What do we need to tell the Youth of America to be able to grow and continue that seed of change and that seed for everyone? I think it's very important to be able to sit down and listen. Listen to your legacy listen to your grandparents' stories. If it only takes a moment, they will plant a seed of knowledge out of their personal gardens. And you might not understand that seed at the time that it's planted, but the more that you water it, not only from things from the past, but it'll also help you to define what your journey is going to look like as you move forward. Um, I'll just... And with this little saying, dear past, thank you for your lessons. Dear future, I'm here and I'm ready. Julia, how about you? What are those seeds that you want to plant for the, the students here? Ah, uh, the seeds. There are two very prominent um, seeds. One is love. And the other is forgiveness. Those words are so exceptionally powerful, and it's so important for it. I love to say, I love you. Uh, and I can do that to any and everybody, to even people I don't know. Um, 
I don't have to know them to love them. You're another human being. You're walking around. You're not doing anything injurious to me. I have no reason to not say if I am in that space. Love being powerful because it is the only real human emotional connection that we can have. And, and love manifests in so many different ways for so many different people. Um, some people feel if they're in, um, in an abusive relationship, but they are loved by the individual that abuses them, and therefore they can, they tolerate, they choose to tolerate. Those are choices that we make. And unfortunately, for those who do make those choices, um, they're on a path of the death of their own spirit. That's right. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is work. It's a job. And it's not done in an instant. It's not done with, I'm sorry. It's not done with, oh, shit, I'll never do that again. <laughs> not done there either. It is the embrace of the pain of the process. And yes, forgiveness is painful because we get so wrapped in our emotions. We don't want to let this anger go. This feels good for me. For, but it's no good for my spirit. It's no good for me, really. But it feels so great. Ah, it's a piece of work, and it's nothing you're going to do in a book. It's nothing that you're going to do on a TV or in a, from a movie. It is about the work of your life, That's right. That's right. about the work of your life. That's right. And the process is first to decide how you define it, because if you have no definition, you can't do any work. Now you can understand uh, the bond that we have. Uh, it's exceptional. Um, um, the love that I have for her is—I can't define something that, that that doesn't have a definition. But you know it's there, just like the air. You can't see it, but you know it's there. We shared so many powerful thoughts, mm -hmm. words. I want to say personal mottos, personal, um, you know, theories. And I was writing down all these words. And, and what I like to do in, in my podcast here at the Baroness is I like to go by using these as, let's say, our hashtags. And then I'm going to ask you what your personal hashtag would be. So let me read. And this is the longest list, I think. <laughs> Because you two women are so amazing and, and so inspiring. I mean, and, and to use your own words, all inspiring. Um, hashtag seeds, hashtag energy, regal, awe, bond, sisterhood, journey, fair treatment, service, love, benefit of life, access, encourage, spirit, commuting family, friendship, bloom, cross your life, listen, spiritual, receptive, desire, Continuing work, resistance, vibrant, mold, puzzle, divine mosaic, 
brilliant women challenge personal gardens to find death of spirit and forgiveness and love. If you had your own personal hashtag, what would it be, Debbie? <laughs> That's hard. That one's very challenging because there's so many aspects of me. Um, foundationally, family, vision, passion, appreciation. And you, Julia? Love. Beautiful. I want to thank Deborah Price and Reverend Julia Cheney Moss for joining us today. Please visit our website for more information about our DEI initiatives and committees at rcbc.edu slash diversity. If you want to hear from women who lead and inspire, this podcast is for you. You've been listening to the RCBC Baroness podcast, which highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. For more information about this podcast or other podcasts available on the RCBC Podcast Network, visit rcbc.edu slash podcast and subscribe to the RCBC Baroness Podcast wherever you tune in. For a female perspective into the Burlington County community, you have been listening to the Baroness Podcast. Take care. Thanks. You've been listening to the RCBC Baroness Podcast, which highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. For more information about this podcast or other podcasts available on the RCBC Podcast Network, visit rcbc.edu slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the RCBC Baroness Podcast, available on all streaming platforms.